the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Protestant Reformation. Over 500 years ago, something amazing happened within the church that altered her direction ever since. And we're continuing our look at John Calvin and the Protestant Reformation next on Abounding Grace. Hi there, and welcome to Abounding Grace from Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose and online at reformedheritage.org. Today, we continue our journey through our little mini-series on church history. We're looking specifically at John Calvin and the Protestant Reformation. It's there that we find our roots to who we are today as evangelicals here in America. We have an awful lot of ground to cover, so let's jump into it, shall we? With a bit of church history bringing glory to God, here's Pastor Gary. Solo Deo Gloria, S-O-L-A-D-E-O-G-L-O-R-I-A, is glory be to God alone. That the reason salvation is by grace through faith is that it cuts all ground out from human boasting. So that no man has to give all glory, all honor has to give all glory, all honor, and all credit to God for anything and everything good in life. And then the last phrase is sola scriptura, S-O-L-A-S-C-R-I-P-T-U-R-A. And that is the only place we can see and read the revealed will of God for us in the Holy Scripture. That the Bible is the final and infallible word of God, the source of all truth and ethics. Now, that flies in the face of the Roman Catholic Church that says, though the Bible is the word of God, it is one of the threefold sources of truth and of ethics. So, in Roman Catholicism, you have three sources of truth. You have the Bible, church tradition that includes the decrees of the church and of the pope and you have reason or nature so that is why they say you don't have to get all of your doctrines out of scripture you can get them from the decrees of the church or from reason but over against that the protestant reformation said no sola scriptura that the Bible is a complete revelation of God and all you need to understand life in this world and live life the way it is meant to be lived is in Holy Scripture alone. <coughs> so, you see those sound bites that the reformers used to set the world on fire. People couldn't forget them. Solo gratia, solo Christo, solo fide. Solo Deo Gloria, Sola Scriptura, or to put the gospel of the Reformation simply in one paragraph, 
And now this is distinctly reformed. So listen, Jesus did it all, all to him I owe. And my hand, no price I bring, simply to his cross I cling. Here I hold because here I am held. Faith is simply the hand which grasps Christ and his righteousness. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, on the ground of Christ's righteousness alone, that God, um, that God and God alone saves us. We supply nothing but the sin to be saved. All the merit, all the praise for our salvation belongs to God, our only Savior. This is the gospel freely offered in the Bible and brought to our heart by the Holy Spirit through the preaching, teaching, and reading of the Word of God. Now, where did the Protestant Reformation take place? Everywhere, all over Europe. You study about every country after country and read only thrilling story after story. Martin Luther and his successor, Philip Melanchthon, were used of God to bring Reformation to Germany. William Farrell, Martin Butzer, and John Calvin were used of God as well as Zwingli to bring Reformation to France and Switzerland. John Rogers, Hugh Latimer, Nicholas Ridley, Thomas Cramner, and the Puritans were used to bring Reformation to England. Patrick Hamilton, George Wissert, and John Knox were used of God to bring Reformation to Scotland. The Cadens of Dort, the Belgic Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism established the Reformation in the Netherlands and in Belgium. John A. Lasko took the Reformation to Poland. Reinhardt, Bergenhagen, and Towson brought the Reformation to Denmark. Olaf and Lars Andersen brought it to Sweden. The French Huguenots, Scottish Covenanters, English Puritans and Scotch-Irish Presbyterians and German Lutherans brought it to America from which land. God has taken it around the world. And in the 16th century, reformers were found even in Spain, Italy, and Hungary. But I want to spend the rest of our time today and next week talking about the standard bearer of the Protestant Reformation, John Calvin. John Calvin's student and close friend for many years was a man named Theodore Beza. And he actually has a biography that he wrote about John Calvin, which is absolutely superb. He loved John Calvin. In 1564, the year of Calvin's death, his best friend, Theodore Beza, wrote these words about him. He said this concerning Calvin's life. I have been a witness of Calvin's life for 16 years, and I think I am fully entitled to say that in this man there was exhibited to all a most beautiful example of the life and the death of the Christian. Now I'm going to divide Calvin's life into three or four phases. And that first phase will be from 1509 to 1536, which I have titled The Preparation and Conversion of Calvin. Calvin was born July the 10th, 1509, in Noyon, France. He was trained and studied theology and law at the universities of Paris and 
of Orleans. At those universities, he came in contact with several Protestant ideas through his professors. We don't know exactly when Calvin was converted to Christ, but it was somewhere between the years 1533 and 1534. And in all of the massive volumes of Calvin, which number almost 16 volumes, not even uh, containing many of his letters of personal correspondence, he is so God-centered and so enamored with God that he only mentions his own conversion once, one time, and that in one line where he simply says, by a sudden conversion, God subdued my heart to teachableness. That says it all, doesn't it? In that one sentence, we see that the soul, the heart of Calvin's faith was the absolute obedience of his intellect to the word of God and the total submission of his will to the will of God for the sake of Christ. When he was 26 years old, He wrote one of the two or three most important books ever to be written in the past 500 years. He wrote in 1536 the first edition of his great work, The Institutes of the Christian Religion. He continued to edit and expand that all through his life up until 1559. And by the time he was finally satisfied with it, at the end of his life, it was five times larger than his original work. But the theology hadn't changed one bit. It had just been expanded and matured. So when he was 26 years old, he wrote the Institutes of the Christian Religion. And the word institute really means the fundamentals. The message of the Institutes of the Christian Religion can be seen in the very first famous sentence that he begins the book with. He says, All our wisdom, insofar as it is is held to the true and perfect, consists of two things. He says, if you want to summarize everything that is worth knowing, you can distill it (coughs) down, excuse me, to two things. And if you know these two things, then you are a wise person. Namely, a right knowledge of God and a right knowledge of ourselves. He says, if you know God rightly and you know yourself rightly, you know about all you need to know. He says, you can't know yourself until you know God. And you can't know God until you know yourself. Therefore, both have to come by special revelation. Throughout the years, he expanded, as I said, the Institutes, perfected it, each time clarifying his purpose and intention and changing the purpose for it. For instance, the first time he wrote the Institutes in 1536, he said, this is a handbook which comprises the sum total of all the evangelical doctrine, that it was simply a manual for Christians on the basic fundamentals, simply put, Of the Christian religion. But the more he expanded it, the more he wanted it not to just be a little handbook, but a preparation for the reading and preaching of the divine word. 
something preachers could study and be trained in. And just before his death, the year of his last edition in 1559, he said the purpose of the Institutes was to express his faith, his theology, and his very heritage. Let me give you a quick outline of the Institutes of the Christian Religion. By the way, everyone here should have this in their homes. It's two volumes, and you not only should have them, but you ought to read them. These two volumes are divided into four books. Book one deals with God the Creator. Book two deals with God the Redeemer. Book three deals with the means of grace, how God accomplished salvation and how it is to be received. And book four deals with church and state. The basic fundamentals of the Christian life set out in four books in the Institutes of the Christian Religion. Book one, on God the Creator, deals with the authority of Scripture, the deity of the Trinity. The second book, God the Redeemer. The third book, The Means of Grace. And the fourth, Matters of Church and State. Now, what was the influence of this book on 16th century England? Because remember, that's what we've been talking about through these series, Christianity, Christianity coming to the British Isles. So I, what I want, to, I want to take some time to show you how this Frenchman, who wrote in French and Latin, pastoring churches in Switzerland and France, influenced an English-speaking country in the 16th century. Now, remember, he died in 1564. He was at the peak of his life in the 1540s. But he still wrote a number of books after that. Now, bearing that in mind, let me tell you, that before the end of the 1540s, long before this Frenchman who wrote in Latin and lived in Switzerland's death, his book, The Institutes, was being read and studied all over England. There is a record of a man in 1543 who translated parts of the Institutes into English. In 1548, another man printed ten books of the Reformers, one of which was Calvin's Institutes. In 1549, there was a book published in English called The Life and Communication of the Christian Man, which was simply a translation of Book 3 of the Institutes of the Christian Religion. There was a Latin version of the Institutes that made its way to printing presses of England. And during the second half of Edward VI, the godly young king who followed Henry VIII, during the second half of his reign, the institute had been, Institutes had been one of the most popular works among English undergrads in universities, especially at Cambridge University. Now this is in the 1500s that Minute Cambridge already loved and read Calvin's Institutes. However, Henry, Edward VI dies young, and Bloody Mary comes to the throne. And as you would expect, she bans Calvin's books. In fact, all kinds of Calvinists had to leave England to keep from being killed by Bloody Mary. So although Calvin's books are banned in England, the English people flee to Frankfurt, Strasbourg, and Geneva, 
where they are able to study under Calvin and, of course, read the institutes of the Christian religion. Then, praise God, Bloody Mary dies within five years. Queen Elizabeth comes to the throne, who was not at all a Protestant, and she reigned for 45 years, during which time the Institutes of the Christian Religion became a dominant book, much used at both Oxford and Cambridge, and it became a deeply entrenched tradition in both of those universities to teach Calvin's Institutes during her 45 years of reign. One man has said that, that direct influences of the institutes on education and preachers in England in the universities is incalculable. In May 1561, Calvin didn't die until 1564, but the last edition of the institutes was published in 1559. But in May 1561... A full translation of Calvin's Institutes was published in London under the title, and this is no soundbite, The Institution of Christian Religion, written in Latin by John Calvin and translated into English according to the author's last edition. That was the best selling of his two volumes, that title. The man that did this was named Thomas Norton, who served as the secretary of the Duke of Somerset, the Lord Protector of England under the first half of the reign of Henry VIII, and he was a godly man. Thomas Norton, who was in correspondence with Calvin as he translated his book into English, was a thoroughgoing Protestant who married a daughter of the great Calvinistic Archbishop of Can Canterbury, Thomas Cramner, whose mother-in-law, the widow of Thomas Cramner, was one of the people who helped finance the publishing of the Institutes. And Norton was such an outspoken member of Parliament as a Calvinist that he was imprisoned in the Tower of London. But his translation went through six editions just during the reign of Elizabeth alone. Another edition was released during the reign of James I in 1611. Then there was another in 1634, and the last time this edition was ever published was in 1762. I actually had the privilege of holding a copy of the 1611 edition in the office of Pastor Joe Moorcraft, which was given to him by the elders of his church, right along with a 1611 edition of the King James Bible. And keep in mind, another book was also published in 1611, and that was the King James Bible. So this shows you what a tremendous influence Calvin's writings had on England in the 16th century by all of the various editions of this book that had come out. Now let's go to the second phase of Calvin's life, and with this we'll be finished. And this is 1536 to 1538. That is the period of his first stay in Geneva, Switzerland. Calvin was satisfied to literally be a reclusive scholar for the rest of his life. He just wanted to find some peaceful place where he could read and study and write, where he would be happy for the rest of his life. But that never happened. There was an old reformer by the name of William Farrell, a fiery man, 
who burned with zeal to advance Christ's kingdom. He gave to Switzerland two things for which Geneva has been known for ever since, the Protestant Reformation and John Calvin. Farrell was convinced that Calvin needed to be in Geneva, for there was no other one, he thought, who could pastor as effectively in Geneva as John Calvin. So he communicates to Calvin, and it threatens him with hellfire and the eternal curse of God if he doesn't take the church pastorate in Geneva. He said, in effect, if you don't go to Geneva, you will go to hell when you die, John Calvin, and I will pray God's eternal curse on you. Calvin was so shaken by those words of this fearless evangelist that he felt in his own words that as if God from on high had stretched out his hand. So Calvin went to Geneva, and while he was at Geneva, one of the focuses of his life was the establishment of faithful church discipline because Calvin believed that church discipline along with the faithful preaching of the word of God and the administration of the sacraments were the true mark of a true church. So he tried to establish weekly communion services, church discipline, the authority of the church to excommunicate, and freedom from state control for the church in Geneva. Here are his own words in defining what he wanted to do as the pastor there in Geneva. Quote, it is certain that a church cannot be called well-ordered and regulated unless any at the Holy Supper of our Lord is often celebrated and attended. And this with such good discipline that none present himself at it save holily and with singular reverence. And for this reason, the discipline of excommunication by which those who are unwilling to govern themselves lovingly in obedience to the word of God may be corrected is necessary in order to maintain the church in its integrity, end quote. Calvin was there for three years and began, became at loggerheads with the city fathers. And in 1538, he was banished from Geneva. His church discipline was considered too strict, especially on the demands he made for communion and baptism. So because the city fathers were at odds with him and opposing his attempts to faithfully discipline the church, Calvin and Farrell both refused to administer the Lord's Supper to these city leaders. What a man of courage. And as a result, they were both banished. Now you need to know what was going on in Geneva at this time. During those days, there were two groups that took control of the council, which was made up of the municipal, municipal authorities who ruled what was then called a city-state. There was this group called the Patriots, not what you think as Patriots. The Patriots were actually a secret Roman Catholic group who spread rumors around that Farrell and Calvin were French agents working towards the overthrow of Geneva. So they thought it to be their duty to constantly throw stones at Calvin's home day in and day out. Along with them were the libertines, or to use our modern language, the liberals. And the liberals were everything a liberal is today. They wanted complete freedom of conscience without any of the restraints of the word of God in worship 
and behavior and lifestyle. And they gained control of the city council. So that led to Farrell's and Calvin's expulsion from Geneva. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.